right around there. We didn't quite finish it, okay. So let's, let's start there, uh, 17. So when she comes back, the narrator had told us, okay, so he had measured out like six whatever things of barley, likely around 60 pounds or so. So that, that looks like a 20-some pound bag, right? Is it right? No, 15 pounds. Uh, <clears throat> so 60 pounds would have been the maximum of what she could have carried home. So, so the narrator told us that. So when she gets to her mother-in-law, uh, the, uh, the author writes it in to, again, what Ruth says. So let's start with uh, 17. Uh, <coughs> and she said, these six measures of barley he gave to me. And he said to me, uh, do not return to your mother-in-law empty. Empty-handed, we might say. Uh, again, that's information we didn't have. The narrator hadn't told us what uh, Boaz had said. Ruth continues to give us information whenever she talks to her mother-in-law, things that the narrator had withheld from us, just like uh, in, in, uh, in chapter 2 when she comes back home. Uh, she tells uh, Naomi that, oh, Boaz also told me to stick by her girls, or his girl, his women, young women, and don't go anywhere. And Naomi tells her, yeah, that's a good idea. Stay, do that. That's better for you. So we keep getting additional information from her. Um, <coughs> In 18, uh, verse 18, it, it says, this is uh, Naomi speaking, and she said, uh, Literally, sit, sit, my daughter, until you know how this matter uh, falls out or works out. For the man will not rest until this matter is settled this day. So she's, the chapter begins with Naomi and Ruth talking. Oh, that, that's the exact same mirror of chapter two. So chapter two is Ruth and Naomi talking to each other, and Ruth leaves, and she's with Boaz uh, and, her, and, and his, his workers, and then she return, Ruth returns home with grain and has another little conversation with, with Naomi, and that is mirrored in chapter three. Again, it begins with Ruth and Naomi talking to each other. She, Ruth leaves is with Boaz. She comes back with grain again, except this time twice as much. And uh, she's got some stories to tell her mother-in-law. And so the, it's like, um, I think of the book of Ruth as four vignettes, four little stories that, that uh, vignette, that's a good word actually. It comes from vine, right? Little, little uh, connected things. So there are three little, four little stories that are all connected through that same vine. Uh, and so <coughs> chapter one was all really about Ruth and Naomi. Uh, and then chapter two is about Ruth and Naomi, but Boaz is introduced in chapter three. Again, the same thing happens. But what's, what's really, I think it's really uh, interesting is this. She says at the end, now sit, rest. Because who's not going to rest? Boaz. Bo now you can rest because Boaz is not going to stop. He's not going to, uh, the word there might be translated even cease. He's not going to cease doing anything until this matter is settled. When? <laughs> Today. <coughs> Do you uh, recall what Boaz's name means? So we had Orpah, the back of the neck who leaves, Machlon, Kilion, the sickly and weakly who die, 
Naomi, pleasant, lovely person who undergoes this great trauma, and she says, she, when she comes back to Bethlehem, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, bitter, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. So there's lots of playfulness with names. Um, <coughs> Boaz meant fleet-footed or fast-moving one. So as soon as he sees Ruth, he had said, whose woman is that? <laughs> right? Not who is she? Whose young woman is that? Is she married? Uh, he moves fairly fast. And, and <laughs> apparently Naomi says, he's going to settle this today. He will move fast on your behalf. Then we, be- we come to uh, chapter 4. <coughs> Chapter four begins with an emphatic statement uh, that it, it violates Hebrew grammar to bring the subject forward to the beginning. Hebrew likes the verb front, and it begins with now Boaz. It, 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 that's how it begins. So <coughs> the story changes, shifts. It's always been about Ruth and Naomi, Ruth and Naomi. Now it's Boaz's turn, and it's Boaz going to work. Ruth had just been told by Naomi, he's going to work for you so you can rest, and now he's going to do that. So Boaz went up to the gate. Uh, <clears throat> I drew the gate for you on the board once, didn't I? So, so some trans, I think the uh, NASB might, some translations will say the court or the courthouse. So it's a municipal, the city hall. He went to the city hall, and he sat there, and behold, the Goel, <clears throat> Do you recall Goel, the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer? The Goel, whom he had spoken about, was passing by. So he said to him, turn aside. So he's going that way, turn this way, come here. <clears throat> and sit here. Poloni Almoni. So he turned and he sat. Uh, I just read the Hebrew for you so you can hear it. Poloni Almoni, that's the name that the author gives in the mouth of Boaz, who clearly would know this man's name, right? He knows it, it's his cousin, most likely, first cousins. <coughs> in a small town like Bethlehem, he would have known this man. <coughs> Excuse me. So, what does your translation have for the name of this Goel? Friend. Any others? Uh, next to kin is the Goel. He says, so he says to next to kin, sorry, friend? We had a King James here. King James, right? Ho such a one. Ho such a one. Uh, the NET says John Doe. Uh, I think JPS and, 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 and NJB has something like, uh, hey, such and such. Or, now listen to the sound of the Hebrew again, and it's exactly how it sounds. Poloni almoni. Blah, 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 blah. It, bo- it sounds like baloney, right? Poloni almoni. It really has no meaning. It, sometimes it gets used by s- to say miscellaneous things. So it only occurs a couple of other times in the Bible. And it says, hey, bring me whatever you've got. Poloni almoni. <clears throat> That's the word. <laughs> That's the phrase. And so Boaz, who obviously would know this man's name, says, calls him Poloni Almoni. Hey, you, you, what's your face? <laughs> Come here. Sit down. Turn. Sit down. And the, the narrator tells us he turned and he sat down. Uh, 
which is unnecessary to say. He, he could have he just said, and he did so. But no, he said, turn and sit down. So what does he do? He turns and he sits. Speaks to Boaz's kind of authority and influence. He was a man of great nobility or influence or wealth. Remember, he was a man of chayil. So, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, why do you think it is that we don't get the name of this man? Names in the book of Ruth, we've discovered, it's very important and sometimes playful. Uh, and we talked about, I think, the very first day that these were probably not their given names, but they're known by afterwards, like Solomon for, Yedida, uh, for Jedidiah, Shalomo, or Israel, Israel for Jacob, Yaakov. So names get changed, and that's what they're known by. Um, so Ruth, yes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoever you are, what's your? I don't care. But why would the author do that? So it seems it seems really strange. I mean, would you ever call, call your cousin? Hey, you. What such a one? Ho, such a one, <laughs> right? If you can remember that name. Uh, for me, uh, I, I have a terrible uh, memory with names. I don't know what it is about names and faces. I, I struggle. So if I haven't seen a student of mine for a while, and they come, <laughs> hi, TC, and they go, hi, sister, hi, brother, because I can't remember that. <laughs> uh, nice among Christians, right, to <laughs> be able to resort to that. Uh, <coughs> yes? Yes, uh, he did not hold this polonial money with respect, yes. But he's a guardian redeemer, he's not just an ordinary transient person. Right, he's the Goel. Uh, the author tells us the Goel whom he had spoken about came, and Boaz says polonial money. <laughs> uh, on purpose, right? So we're supposed to, as the reader, go, what? So the author, the narrator, is causing us, forcing us to ask, what is going on? We'll find out in just a minute, or maybe in half an hour. <laughs> I'm going to put you in that suspense for a little while, okay? <laughs> All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> oh, I do have another footnote, I mean, a, a, a little sticky. I'm going to consult to see if I'm missing anything. Nope. All right, uh, verse two. <coughs> then he took, literally means like seized, grabbed. Lakach is to like take, like grab. He took uh, 10 men from the elders of the city, of the town, and he said, sit here. So they sat. <laughs> Did you, do you get that in your translation, something similar to that? Sit here, so they sat. Uh, you get a picture of him just taking charge here. He's not messing around. He goes to 10 elders, he picks 10 of the elders. Uh, why 10? Are you familiar with Jewish practices of minyan or minyan? Whenever I say minyan, I think of the minions now, the little minions, but uh, minyan or minyon, are pronounced often the same as minyan, uh, is certain practices even today among Jewish people, you need 10 people to be a minyan uh, to perform certain rituals. Uh, Orthodox used to say 10 elders, and then it became 10 men, young or old, and then now in the Reformed uh, tradition, 10 people of faith, of Jewish origin. So um, certain practices still require that. But 10 men here says something like, he wants this official. 
so he, he's produced a, a, an elder board to sit <coughs> before him. Again, the idea that he says, sit, they sit. <laughs> and the, the word there is in the strong imperative without a softening like please. So he just says, sit. <laughs> so they sat. It's very much like the, uh, the Polonia Almoni character. Uh, verse three, so the, uh, he said to the goel, so this word repeats here quite a bit. He, the author and the, the narrator uh, keep saying, this is supposed to be the goel. This is the kinsman redeemer. Uh, you, you all talked about redeeming and redeemer when I was gone uh, that one week. And, and this is a significant theological term. Uh, also socially, very important term here for the book of Ruth. And so he's, he says to the goel, and again, something else comes to the front instead of a verb. Uh, so that's emphatic word structure, strong statement. The piece of land or the plot of the field which belonged to our brother. That's a key word, our brother, because the Levite marriage that you all talked about requires a brother to be a redeemer. Uh, re- belonging to our brother uh, Elimelech, uh, Elimelech. And um, <coughs> Naomi has to sell this. So he brings up the, f- the thing that Naomi has to sell because it's, it's been in a family trust because women cannot own land in this, at this time. So since women could not own land when her husband died, it, it passed on to the two sons, Machlon and Chilion. When they died, then it goes into a family trust. And, but she can't own it, but she can, some, she can have a redeemer, redeem it for her and for her descendants. Uh, so she has to sell this. But he brought up the front part of it is the land. He goes, okay, there's land. Who's not interested in land, right? Uh, if you have the money to buy it. He says, there's land, you can buy it. Uh, and, and he describes Naomi as the one who returned from the fields of Moab. Interesting, a little addition there. Um, Notice he has left out Ruth. He, he's left, left some information out there. And uh, I think that's purposeful. And verse four says, again, it's emphatic word order structure. The, the word that should come first is again a verb, but this one, it's this time an independent pronoun, I. And independent pronouns in Hebrew, is, are un- Hebrew is unnecessary because verbs have the built-in person into it like Spanish or French, uh, or most other romantic languages have the person built into the verb. Um, but this one doesn't need it, but he begins with, but I, yes. When, where, in this verse? Oh, Boaz. So Boaz is still speaking. So Boaz says to this Goel, hey, this piece of land that Naomi has, where it belonged to Elimelech, Naomi has to sell. Uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, and so he's trying. He's. I, I think he's kind of setting him up. But so Goel is hearing this thing about just the land. Oh, okay, land. First is the good news. <laughs> <laughs> In the bad news, and then he goes. And then I said that I will uncover your ears. Strange idiom. Um, he could just say, and I, I thought I could tell you, but it seems to be something more official uh, sounding. Do you, do you, like prophets will do this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
that is a proclamation. So he's speaking in front of the elders in the courthouse or in the municipal building, and he's saying, I am pronouncing to you officially, legally, and say, uh, purchase or acquire for yourself before the sitting ones, the ones who are sitting here, the elders, uh, and before the elders of my people. Interesting, he says, my people, not our people. They, they live in the same town, they're the same people, but Boaz chooses the, the, the word uh, my people. Um, there's something to that, I think. And if you will redeem, redeem. But if not, if you don't want to redeem, tell me so that I may know. Again, that's redundant. Just tell me would be fine. But tell me so that I would know for sure. There's kind of legalese happening here, uh, very specific. For there is not except you to redeem. So there's no one besides you to redeem. And I am after you. I am next in line to redeem. And then he said, the, the redeemer, this Polonia Moni said, okay, I will redeem. Uh, so still, again, he left out Ruth. Uh, this whole long stretch of a, a proclamation. Yes? No, it's the uh, closeness of the kinsman relationship. So we don't know exactly what the relationship was to between Elimelech, this other guy, and Boaz, but they're all probably cousins or could be literally brother. We don't know because the Hebrew word for brother, ach, it, it can mean brother, it can mean cousin. Yes, if they were brothers, but it doesn't seem like they're brothers. Uh, probably brothers in the same sense that... Uh, um, <coughs> let's see, I'm trying to think of an example where that would be uh, clear, but just uh, fathers and brothers or mothers and sisters are very loose terms in Hebrew, also in Greek too. Uh, but I grew up calling my first cousins brothers and sisters, which is also very Eastern, I think. Uh, very loose term, broad term. Yeah, I. but th he's about to mention her, though. He's about to mention her, but he's kind of withheld that information up front. Yes. They will. And, and then something else is going to come up out of that, right? Because he's trying to make them not want to do Right. All right. So uh, since, that, since there are questions here, I, I, I don't know how much of this redeeming thing you talked about. So it, let's say this, let's call him, uh, I don't know what to call this guy. His name's Polonia Almoni. Who is that you want? John Doe. Not the NET says John Doe. Let's say John Doe redeems the land and Ruth, and they produce a child. That child will own that land, even though he's paid for it, and that child is not his child. In the registry, in the family line, he belongs to Machlon, Elimelech's line. Did you guys talk about that? So that's why your uh, redeeming means you, you don't want to, you don't, the practice was basically because of the mosaic distribution of the land to tribes and families, they didn't want any family to lose their land because of some problem within that family. So that Elimelech line needs to continue. 
And since Machlon was the eldest, uh, Machlon had, would have had the lineage continue through him, but Machlon died without an heir. So the Levite marriage, the brother, or whoever the, his closest brother, would then produce an heir for Machlon. And it would not be this Joe guy, Joe Shmo. It would be Machlon's kid. And that Machlon's kid would take over the land he had just purchased. So it's not really a great deal, and that's why people don't like to do it. Do you remember the story in, uh, I had you read this in, in Genesis. The handout, maybe, the, I forget if the new hand, if he used it. In Genesis story of Judah and Tamar. Do you remember that story? So Judah, Judah had a son, uh, he had actually two sons. Uh, the first son, Er, Ev, uh, married Tamar. And he dies because he was an evil man and God kills him. And so his oldest son dies without leaving an heir. Uh, and uh, Ta- Tamar uh, is supposed to have a child through the brother, his, name, his name's Onan, and Onan goes, but he doesn't want to produce an heir. So in, rather than complete the act, it's coitus interruptus. So he does, it's actually that's where we get the word onanism. Uh, spilling the seed. So he spills the seed so that he won't get her pregnant, but he continues to have sex with her, but won't get her the seed. And then so uh, the long story short, at the end, when she has no other recourse, she deceives Judah and and gets pregnant through Judah. And and, and Judah finally realizes what he has done is wrong. He was about to, long story, seriously, he was about to kill her because they thought she got pregnant through a whoring. And then so that all the story comes back and Judah finally confesses, okay, she's more righteous than I. So uh, because people didn't want to lose their property to other, other literally other kids. <laughs> yeah, I know it's their genetic, but they didn't think of it that way. So if you, uh, if this person belongs to another family and you have to give up the land and you had just purchased, that's not really a good deal for you. So people were hesitant uh, for financial reasons to do that. So, but then if there are no women involved, it's just land that you can just take over, right? So it, this Boaz is almost like, hey, here's some land. You want it? And then he's gonna go, psych. Uh, Sorry. Uh, so, uh, so he said, uh, I will redeem. Uh, were we there? Let me see my notes. Oh, yeah. Um, besides the formal and legal language there, when he says, I will uncover your ears, uh, the word is egla or egle, and then the word for I will redeem is Egal, and there's a wordplay, I think, going on. Uh, I will redeem is, is a wordplay of, uh, of an uncover. And then Boaz said, okay, the day that you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you also must acquire Ruth. See, he's held it back. Ruth, not just Ruth, Ruth the Moabites, they don't like Moabites, right? They're not really on unfriendly terms. They don't think of Moabites as equals to their own people. Ruth the Moabites, um, the wife of the dead. She's the, she's the woman that uh, was married to Machlon. To raise up, literally to, to establish and, and raise up the name of the dead 
upon his inheritance, his possessions, his estate. So that's this little story I just told you about. In order for you to acquire this land, you, almost, you must also acquire Ruth to raise up a name for that, not your descendants, his descendants, and establish that lineage there. So Boaz had kind of set him up. And now, okay, Justin, the day that you acquire, you must also acquire. Uh, it was it's kind of a tricky thing for Boaz to do. Um, So the Goel says, again, he's referred to Goel. It's almost the, the, the author keeps want, wanting to remind you, he's the rightful Goel, but he will now refuse to do his job to Gaal, to, to actually redeem. So the Goel said, I can't do it. I am not able to redeem for myself, lest I ruin my own estate, my own uh, inheritance. This is what I was just talking about. We don't know exactly how much would have been damaged through this process or what he would have lost. Another possibility is that he would lose it. If he, die, if he dies without an heir, then this other family, now that it's no longer his, could come and redeem his property. So he's all, I think he's torn up. So there's some debate among scholars uh, as to what, he's, what exactly he's worried about, but he's worried about his finances. That's for sure, yes. I see, I see. Uh, maybe, but uh, this is a polygamous culture, patriarchal culture, and so uh, even the lawgiver, Moses, had two wives, and uh, it's a very different time. I think, I don't know if that's what he would have been thinking, uh, but yeah, that, it's kind of smart if, of him to not do this, uh, perhaps. I mean, even if it were legal, maybe he yeah. knew his wife first. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> that could very well be. Um, but the Goel will not Gaal at this point. So it, we no longer get to call him Goel anymore. So here is a shift here. Uh, when he says, I cannot Goel, Gaal, I cannot redeem, lest I ruin my own inheritance. Redeem to you, he says. Redeem for yourself. And then there's a strange thing here, my, redempt, my redemption. It's like, what does that mean? So some translations will say, my right of redemption you may have, or something like that. But it literally says, redeem for yourself, my redemption. <coughs> wow. Uh, if we take that a little bit more literally, it could mean like, I need redeeming too. But I, I'm not sure if that's what it is. He's giving up his right to, to redemption, and he uh, reiterates, I cannot redeem uh, I cannot do this. I am unable to do this. Chapter, I'm sorry, verse seven begins a parenthetical statement. Uh, it's, it's information that you need to understand verse eight. So verse seven is kind of a pause. Let me give you some background information. We've done that a couple times before. Here he says, and this was the practice or the, um, the way things were in the old days in Israel about or concerning Goel and so Gaaling about the redemption and exchange of things um, to make it certain, to make it established, to make it uh, finalized, uh, uh, the entire matter, a man took off his sandals and gave it to the other. This was a, to be a witness 
in Israel. So as a, as a form, as a practice, uh, cultures, different cultures have various different practices to make things official. In, in our culture, we might raise our hand. Like, why is that significant? Um, it's just a gesture, isn't it, right? Yeah, we used to have the Bible, too, like your hand on the Bible. I'm not sure if that's still required in most states, but raising your hand to take an oath. Do you know? But like when somebody says, raise your right hand, and we go like that to... Is that, is but doesn't it usually say something like, oh, I promise to do this and this and that, or I swear to protect the... right? Right, I don't know what the origin is because it, this comes, it, it actually goes quite back to like almost medieval times. So I don't think schools are involved in that or the orig origin of that activity. But all I'm saying is this, all I'm saying is there are gestures and customs that every culture has and taking off your sandals and giving it to the other guy in Israel at the time was a custom to say, here, it's official. And uh, the, it says in the former days or in the, in the past, wh which means something like this. The reader does not know this information, which means that this is either a later redaction, redaction, uh, an edit, edit, an insert that, that someone added so that who's, who knows the custom and is explaining it by adding that little, uh, what's verse, is that seven? Um, it's either adding that verse or the entire book was written much, much later at a time that people have lost that custom and needs the explanation. Either way, uh, the final form of the book then has to come from a, a time much after, uh, much later than the time of, of Ruth and Boaz. Um, verse eight, are we at eight? Okay, verse eight. Now that we've had this information given to us, he, the author continues, <clears throat> the Goel said uh, to Boaz, redeem, acquire for yourself, and he took off his sandal. <laughs> just, I don't know, I, I just can't imagine in the courtroom somebody taking off a sandal and giving it to the other guy. Uh, but apparently that's, that was the practice. But verse, uh, so it, it repeats verse six after the seven to confirm. So six and seven and eight forms kind of a little unit that says, that says it's all done. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, apparently there were others there besides the elders. So if this is like a courtroom scene almost, there are other people who are interested, maybe even curious, like what's going on? Why, are, why, are there, why is there a minion here? Why are there 10 elders here? Uh, why is Boaz, this very influential man here, what's going on? So it might have been just curious, to, but they're there. The, the, all the people, you are witnesses today, this day, that I have acquired. He now speaks in the perfect tense there, that I will. I have, done deal. I have acquired all that belonged to Elimelech and all that was to uh, Kilion and Machlon from the hand of Naomi. So he makes this official thing official, more official by proclaiming, it's done, okay? You can't, no, no take backsies. It's a done deal. Um, 
could talk about that other thing, but uh, let's keep going. Verse 10. So verse nine is about the property, which he said, ah, it's all mine now. And but also, but also, indeed, uh, surely, Vagam is a very strong beginning for Hebrew. Also, the uh, Ruth, <laughs> don't forget Ruth. Also Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of Machlon, I have acquired for myself or to, my, to myself uh, as a wife to raise up, to establish the name of the dead upon his inheritance so that his name may not be cut off from his people and from the, uh, I'm sorry, the name of the dead may not be uh, cut off from his people and his, his brothers. And from, literally it says from the gate of the, his people, from the gate of his people, remember the gates, uh, the public records of his people. So his name needs to be preserved. Witnesses you are today. Uh, I've said it a couple of times already today, but whenever the, the Hebrew has something other than a verb, it's emphatic. And he begins uh, verse 10 with an emphatic particle, gam, which means indeed, surely, also, and then Ruth. So surely, also, Ruth, I've acquired as, as a wife. Just to, just to make sure it's clear that as a wife, uh, unnecessary information, uh, and, and long-winded almost, to, again, to say this is legal matter that's been settled. All right, verse 11. Although I do want to talk about <laughs> the cutting off of the name, but uh, we can come back to it if we have time. All right, verse 11. They said, all the people said, sorry, who, uh, who were in the gates, all the, all right, sorry, the verb came first, so I'm trying to translate it too early. Uh, this is normal word order. All the people who were at the gate and the elders said, sorry, so the said comes to the front. Uh, witnesses, that's all they really say. Witnesses, because he's been saying, you're witnesses, you're witnesses, and they say, all right, witnesses, we're witnesses. Uh, and then after they, that's all they needed to say, and then they add to this beautiful blessing. May the Lord, this is the name of God, Yahweh, may the Lord give the woman, not you, woman, coming into your house, um, and, and in English, we, it sounds weird to say give the woman like, but so maybe we could translate to make the woman or bless the woman like. Uh, Rachel and Leah, of course, the two wives of, of, of Jacob, uh, who t built up, two of them, by, so both of them built up the house of Israel, house of Jacob, and may you be Chayol in Ephrata and your name proclaimed in, Be in Bethlehem. So verse 11, uh, we return to that word that we, we paused in chapter two, the word Chayol, might, valor, uh, strange word to refer to an older gentleman. And again, it was a stranger still when it was applied to Ruth, a young woman, because it is often applied uh, to warriors of might and strength and 
glory and power. And here uh, we get the final conclusion of that movement. Boaz was Chayel, Ruth was Chayel. Now that they're, t- they're together, they can together be Chayel. It's a great blessing. Uh, again, I could talk about more there, but. Uh, so, verse 12. I really do want to leave some time at the end for questions. This is our last class. I want to leave time for some questions. So, if I'm rushing through some of this, I apologize. Uh, so, and may uh, your house be like the house of parrots, of uh, uh, Perez, you might say parrots. Uh, who, who, whom Judah bore, I'm sorry, whom, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Uh, and then it continues, so that's a whom, ta- whom Tamar bore to Judah is a parenthetical statement of who parrots is. And then it continues, from the seed or, or the offspring of, uh, which God will, which the Lord will give to you from this young woman. So that parenthetical statement, so may, May you be like this from this woman's children. But that in between is this lengthy Rachel and Leah and Tamar, all women of, of great uh, character and importance, at least historically, uh, in Israel. Now, uh, Perez is an interesting choice. It, we'll find at the end of this uh, book a genealogy of Perez. Or, or Perez. Um, and where is that verse? I think 18 it starts. Yes, Ele Toledo Peretz. So these are the generations of Peretz, is it verse 18? And so verse 18 and following is a genealogy of Peretz. But why go back to Peretz as the, the person? Obviously, may you be like Peretz makes sense since, since he's the ancestor of Boaz. But what's really, really interesting is this Peretz was born by Goel. Judah was forced to be a Goel when he was, didn't want to be. He didn't want to give his other son. Uh, so uh, Tamar tricks Judah. And so he, she, Perez is born through a surrogate father, which is what a Goel really is, right? So it's a reminder of what Goel should be, but sometimes fail to be, and the righteousness of Tamar is what brought that mosaic law, which before Moses wrote that law, right? The practice was, uh, I mentioned in my handout, the practice was there before it was codified in mosaic law. So the practice, uh, Tamar tricks by her righteousness, she could have gone and married somebody else, but she, she pursues what's right and forces or tricks Judah into doing the right thing by being the Goel. So Peretz is the product of that. So I think that's a fascinating uh, comparison to say, may your house be like the house of Perez. Perez, sorry. Um, Verse 13. Then Boaz took Ruth, and she was to him his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave to her conception, and she gave birth to a son, and she bore a son. Um, there are redundant redundancies in verse 13 uh, that I think the author intends. 
he took, but so Boaz took Ruth, uh, is basically how Hebrew often talks about marriage, but then the, uh, the, uh, the extra statement, and then she became to him his wife, is uh, added, and then even that second, the description that's more sexually explicit, then he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, the ability to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. I think this, this is, might be reading a little bit too much into it, uh, because there are, th- there are three independent statements there. He took her, he be she became his wife, and then they had sex, and then the, the result is that. But I think what's really interesting is the verbal form on the three FS, I'm sorry, a third person feminine singular. Uh, the verb following, and he took her, is the third person feminine verb that says, and she became his wife. And I'm not gonna be dogmatic about this, but I think the reason that information is there is because, remember I said that I think the book is romantic? It's kind of a a romance story and not just a birth narrative. Often uh, in the Bible it says, uh, it it begins, so-and-so took so-and-so and gave birth to so-and-so is how the birth narrative usually goes. But this one pauses long enough to say, and she became his wife. And I think that means the story really was about that, that's kind of at the heart of it all. It just, it, yes, yes, of course, it's about the kid that's gonna be born that is gonna be able to, to own that land, because the reason it says son and not child here is because only sons, sorry ladies, I'm sorry, it's a patriarchal culture, only sons could own land, and so Elimelech's land can, can now continue, and that, that means all the wealth that comes out of that land, Naomi has and Ruth has, so she, they don't need to glean in the fields anymore. They can actually hire workers and work the land. So um, I think it's this romantic connection. Yes? You know, that, that uh, kinsman not being cut off. Uh-huh. Four generations ago, my great-grandfather, would, I mean, he was obsessed with having a son so he could, the name would be carried on. Right. We don't think that. We don't in this, yeah, <laughs> you love your daughters. Uh, okay, so it is a different culture because only men could own land, right? If that was the case and you couldn't pass on your wealth to your daughters, you might want, I mean, I think of, I think of Jane Austen's books, right? The women can't own, so he's the, like uh, Mr. Bennett is always worried about the girls. How are they going to survive? Uh, and they're always looking for that kinsman redeemer. Yes. One other question. What good is one sandal, and what did they do with it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, it was just a gesture, I think. Uh, maybe they, after the ceremony was over, he got it back, because what's he going to go home like, you know, just... <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Um, all right, so let me give you some information about uh, the, the... It's changed a lot in Korea, but when I was born, uh, in, in this was... Korea's still kind of patriarchal, but they, they've progressed a lot. But uh, uh, they had a woman president and all that. So they've progressed a lot, but when, and still, still today, uh, the, the desire for the son is still there. And so much so, and the line, the lineage thing, the continuing line is so strong that if you have an only son, that only son, if you have no other sons, becomes quite precious. If that only son has a second generation only son, that second generation only son is almost untouchable. I am a, f- uh, a fourth generation only son. 
and my son is a fifth-generation only son. Uh, I have no daughters. So if he ever went to Korea, they would treat him like royalty among my family. Uh, he could not touch a knife. He could not start a fire. He would not drive unless there was a professional driver there. You know what I mean? It'd be like, so um, in a culture like this, in, in ancient Israel, the name meant so much more than just uh, wealth. It became then this kind of the, the family honor also as well. Uh, this is also, it, 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 I think that's why I love the Old Testament so much because I identify the shame and honor culture that's there. Uh, and, and women, feel, remember the stories of like Hannah or others, women who could not conceive. It wasn't just a problem. They felt ashamed. Uh, and, and that's of course terrible uh, because it was cultural. But of course when God gives Hannah a son, God, uh, he, she names Shemuel. Samuel means God answered, God heard. So there's the theology even in bad cultural stuff, unfortunately. Yes? I have a question. So Boaz took Ruth and they had a son. Mm -hmm. But what happens to Boaz's stuff? Because did he have a son himself before? We don't know that information. The author doesn't give us anything. Oh, if he didn't have any other kids, if this was the only kid, he would get everything. Yeah. Yeah. And and the lineage at the end, the genealogy at the end, makes it clear that this is the line of Boaz, right? So the line Boaz is now inserted into the uh, into this story, where uh, even though technically uh, the son that gets born Obed or Obed, how do you say that? O, uh, Obed. It's Oved in Hebrew. Oved means servant, by the way. It's a beautiful name. Who is he serving? Serving likely Naomi and Ruth by his birth. So he's named Oved, and Oved becomes the father of so-and-so. And then Boaz, it doesn't go back to Elimelech. It goes to Peretz all the way down. So the genealogy kind of cheats at the end to say, here's David coming from this wonderful lineage of Boaz and Ruth. Uh, and that's why some scholars say this is almost propagandistic to say, see, our king is so great. Uh, and if it's written at, in David's time and not Ruth's time, then that could have been l enough time to say, what's a sandal thing for, right? So, uh, but I don't think it's that. It's not enough, it, there's not enough propaganda for David to be that. I think it's a true, genuine story about redemption uh, and the redemptive work that God does throughout this story. And at the end of it, we hadn't had the mention of Yahweh for a while, the Lord. And at the end of the story, the Lord do this, the Lord do this, and the Lord do this. People say it, and then the narrator says, and the Lord allowed, Yahweh allowed, Yahweh gave, uh, Ruth conception, literally says. connect us to, to, uh, to one hmm. I'll have to think about that. But Every doctrine connect us to each other. Yeah. I tend to think of our connection with each other as connecting through Christ. Yeah. Right. So there's the vertical and the horizontal connection and that's what the Ten Commandments has those two sections. And when Jesus was asked for the greatest commandment, he says he can't stop at one, right? The greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, which is in Deuteronomy 6.4. And then the second is like it. <laughs> it's like, whoa, I didn't give you, I didn't ask for two. 
<laughs> he says, well, no, you get it for two. It's two for one. Buy one, get one free. You ask for one, you, sec- you get the second one free because it's a coin. I can't give you only one side of a coin. I have to give you two sides. So I think the connection is there. Uh, if I can finish the thing, and we can come back to open to questions. I'd, I'd like to finish just a couple of these verses here. Uh, and then, and the women said to Naomi, the women speak now, Blessed is Yahweh who did not leave you without a goel, the Redeemer, today, this day. And they called his name, uh, they called, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it says, oh yeah, may, may his name be called in Israel. Then, uh, May he be to you, I think, uh, again, they're still speaking to to Naomi about Boaz. May he be to you a, literally it says, returner of your soul. Does your translation do something different there? Restorer of my life, of your life? So restorer of your life, nefesh is soul, or life. May he be to you a returner of your life and a sustainer in your old age for your daughter? And it's kind of emphatic, begins with daughter, uh, who loves you. Ahav. Love is not a very common word in, the, in any Asian languages, in Oriental languages like Semitics, Semitic languages. Uh, people don't go around saying, I love you very often. Um, but so they're saying, this daughter-in-law who loves you, who was born, you who's born him, the son, uh, she is better to you than seven sons. That's a strong statement in a, in a patriarchal culture to say a woman is better than a son. Oh, no, no, no. She's better than seven sons. Why seven? Seven is a number of perfection. Seven, seven days in a week. Seventh day the Lord rested. If you had seven perfect sons, she's better. That's a strong statement. She's better than seven sons to you. Um, and then there's a strange thing that happens here. Uh, where, where, where am I in? Okay, uh, and Naomi took the child, and uh, she puts the child on her bosom, and she becomes to him a, a nurse, and, and I don't think this is a, a wet nurse, because she's obviously older, but a caretaker, a caregiver. I remember when my son was born, uh, again, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is, my mom is, she's 80 and she's from a different time. Uh, and so when my son was born, so I'm the fourth generation only son, uh, the fifth generation only son is born. My mother would not let that kid go. Uh, I could not take that kid home often. She bought a crib in her room so that some days the kid, could s- the baby would sleep in her room. Uh, we were not allowed to take the baby home every day. I said, no, not taking the baby home. But it's my baby. No, it's mine. <laughs> you think it's yours, it's mine. <laughs> it's my baby. Uh, and my dad was even worse. <laughs> every night he would call me, is the baby sleeping? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can I come over and look at the baby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> every night he would call me. Um, so she became his nurse, and then the women, cr- women say something. Uh, they, they say to, to, to they, they name, the, the neighborhood women name the kid. Usually it's the father. 
But the neighbor women named the kid, calling him Bo, uh, uh, Ovid, and we, uh, we talked about that. And, and then what they proclaim is even more strange. A child, a son has been born to Naomi. Remember what my, grand, what my mom said? My kid. <laughs> there, the neighbor women are saying, oh, a child, a son has been born to Naomi, not to Ruth or Boaz, Naomi. She's not gonna let that kid go. She took the child and put her in her bosom and now she's like, not mine, <laughs> right? Um, and then, and then they, uh, they call his name Oved, which means servant. And he became the father of Yesai, uh, sorry, Jesse, Yesai, who was the father of David, David. Uh, and then the genealogy of the whole genealogy from, from Peretz all the way down to David will continue from that point on. Um, but I thought it was just interesting that Naomi, uh, if I can conclude, and, just, and then we'll open up for questions. I said in the very first day that I love the book of Ruth for many reasons, but one of the reasons I love the book, not beyond the romance of it, is that this is my experience of God. I don't experience God, the Red Sea God. I don't see the pillar of fire God. I don't see the manna falling down God. What I do see is God working through the circumstances in my life to bring about Gaal, redemption. And the true redeemer, of course, for us is our Lord Jesus Christ, whose redemptive work costs far more than grain. Amen? Questions or comments or anything? Yes? Yeah. Right, right. We began with her losing everything, right? Her husband and her two kids. At the end of it, she said, I came back empty. I came back Mara, bitter. And then she had a daughter-in-law who was better than seven sons with her, but she was already kind of bitter and angry. I mean, I would be too, wouldn't you be, if you had lost your husband and your two kids, two sons, and she's bitter and angry, and yet Ruth right there, faithful, so faithful, and through her sacrifice and her hard work, she finally experiences rest uh, through the Redeemer, and, and uh, uh, it's just a perfect picture of what life looks like for us, for many people. Um, even the loss that, that Naomi experiences, and Ruth, remember, she experienced it too. It's her husband. Remember, uh, we talked about her taking off her mourning clothes. How long has it been? A long time. She's been mourning that whole time for her husband. Uh, and when, when Naomi tells her, you know, put on your regular clothes and go down, now your mourning is over. So we, we, we see life as is. Um, death and mourning is around us, but in the midst of all that is Gaal, Goel, which is the beauty of this book. But it begins with Naomi losing everything and gaining someone who's better than seven sons and a literal son. Yeah. Yeah, uh, as an only son, I put myself in that situation. That would have been awful. They wouldn't allow me to hunt or fish or climb mountains or True. ride horses. Yeah, I've never broken a bone in my life growing up. I've never really had many scratches. Uh, it was... Um, it, it was not a, always a good, I, I had to do all those things in secret, like climb a tree. My, if my grandmother had seen me climb a tree, that would not be, that would not go well. Uh, in Korea growing up, uh, kids were spanked by teachers. I was never spanked by teachers. One teacher tried and got fired. <laughs> I'm a fourth generation only son. Even the military cannot draft me in Korea. If I'm committed murder, at most likely I would get house arrest. So, back then, 
Now things have changed. Uh, much more progressive, as I said. It's not such a patriarchal culture. Yes? Yes. Right, right. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I, I was saying earlier that the narrator cheats a little bit. Um, it's, it should be technically from Elimelech's line, and then, then that would be something else. But uh, the narrator really wants, and it's true. Lit, I mean, do you, they're aware of that dichotomy as well. They're aware, okay, on paper, that's Mahlon's kid, but really it's Boaz's kid. And since they're married now, and they're continuing to live in that family, but what, th what that redemption really does is, they, they talk about raising the name of Mahlon. Oh, I almost forgot, Poloni Almoni, unnamed, right? Because he would not raise up the name of his brothers, so the narrator never names him. He does not deserve to be named. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but Pol Polonia Almoni also is very disrespectful, right? So somebody said, doesn't hold him with respect. Uh, it's almost as if to say, that we find out just a little bit later why. This guy passes up on Ruth, okay? Only an idiot would do that. This incredible woman that everyone has heard, because Boaz tells her at the threshing floor, I've heard, all of my gay people have heard how great you are. And he says, no thanks, I don't want to ruin my finances for something. Really? Y you are willing to pass up on the marriage of the lifetime, the woman of, of nobility, of greatness, for your money? Troubles, possibly? So he's a bit of a loser <laughs> in the story. And so to say that is to call him Polonia Almoni, which is about as disrespectful as you can get here, right? Uh, to not even name the guy. So. Right? If I went to, if I could go back in time and travel back in time and go to Beth, uh, Bethlehem at this time and go to the city hall, the city gates, and say, can I see your registry? I'm sure he would have had Eli Melech. Machlon, Obed, and continue. But the narrator is saying, okay, forget that for now. Because Boaz is such a great guy. We're not include Boaz here, because he's the true redeemer in the story. And that's why I think this is more theological, not historical. And, and it's, it's, it's got, of course, historical things in it, but the author's intention is not to just recount history for the sake of history, but to give you a picture for its theological meaning, which is all Bible is, the theological meaning then is about redemption. Yes. I'm just going to make a comparison. So we are true children of God. So it's like, like you know, this is your redeemer. This is your father. Right. And also, depending on your theological tradition, you might also argue, as Galatians does, that we are not the seed of Abraham. Right? Literally, we're not the descendants of Abraham. But in Christ, we are. So the, the lineage that Abraham would have expected gets almost interrupted by the Redeemer, Jesus, and now we're included. So the line changes, yes. And also, the, um, not only for God, but uh, the other part that I, I would love to spend more time on is there are classes of people in the Old Testament who are a protected class of people, according to Mosaic law, according to God, right? God says through Moses, 
don't ever treat these specific people poorly. If you do, you're gonna die. I will kill you. He gets really angry. And those class of people are widows, orphans, strangers, or immigrants, and the poor and the oppressed. So the people who are on the margins, and this book is about God working behind the scene to make sure that the most marginalized women, old women in this, in this era, widowed old women like Naomi, a foreigner, she's now t- she includes two classes of people, right? She's a foreigner, a stranger, and a widow. So um, the book really is about redeeming uh, the most marginalized people. And I think this contrast, I, I've done a study one time, I taught Esther and Ruth back to back in comparison. Because Esther is a story about queen and kings and this court drama that happens at the history making level, right? This grand drama. And at the opposite end is this little town of people that you would have never heard of had not the Bible preserved that story for us and preserved the names of all these people for us, except for Poloni Almoni, whose name, <laughs> right? Yes. Well, Jesus sticks to the Jewish nation while he's ministering. He, t- he does have some conversations with Samaritans and the Roman centurion. Uh, it's not until the, in the book of Acts that the gospel then explodes into the world. But even the programmatic statement in the book of Acts when it says, you will be my witnesses, witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the world is exactly how the book unfolds. The Spirit comes on them, then they become witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, establish a Jerusalem church, then they go out to the ends of the, uh, the earth with, uh, with uh, uh, Barnabas and Paul take, taking that mission outward. And that's when Paul starts to write these amazing letters and he says, there are now no more Jew or Gentile or men or women or slave or free. That those distinctions or don't exist. Yeah. Everybody right. What's, what's, uh, what's, yeah, well, I, I just taught this class uh, recently about the five covenants of the Bible and how they all relate to Jesus. And, uh, but then the intent of every covenant was essentially the same. Even the Abrahamic covenant is not to bless one nation. It's to bless that one nation so that they might be a blessing to the whole world. Every nation, every family, every tribe, it said. But then the Israelites fail at that as, as these descendants of, of Abraham. And so that failure uh, uh, is what Jesus steps into and, and says, and that's why Matthew makes the point consistently over and over, Jesus, Israel. Jesus is Israel. And so Jesus fulfills all of the old covenants and through him, we experience the true new covenant that Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah 31. And, and to truly experience Gaal through our Goel, Yesu, or Yehoshua, Jesus Christ. Um, we're way over time, I'm sorry, but yes? Sure. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. All right, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I hope to come back when I can. And. Uh,